The job. The stress. We are, there is an active shooter working at Douglas. Multiple gunshots are being fired. Politics. Politics. Pressure. Pressure. Get out of here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. Fear. Survival. Control 765, I need the radio for a minute. Be advised, we are taking fire from a very high floor. We believe it's possibly coming from the Mandalay Bay. And we get it. And we have to do better. The truth behind the badge. Presented by the Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. Good afternoon, this is Rich from Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. It is Wednesday, September 23rd, and we have our third part of our three-part series. Joined today with Emily, and this episode is going to be called My Partner's Keeper. Right, Emily, how are you today? I'm doing good, Rich. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay considering it's been a crazy time in this profession and everything. And uh, as you know, we've uh, we've just had a lot going on behind the scenes, and it's just been a little bit challenging to say the least. So I'm glad we're able to finally sit down and get this episode going. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm, me too. I got to tell you, the post today from Eliza really, um, in, really inspired me, and I'm sure it inspired many people. Um, before we get into the episode, why don't you talk about that post really quickly, and then we'll get into the episode. Uh, you know, actually, I think that post has, has some some things to do with this episode because it is about you know where our life is now. Um, we have come into just the most wonderful community that I could ever ask for, especially as a, as a wife of a fallen officer and, and them as two children of a fallen officer. Um, we have come into the most supportive law enforcement community ever. Um, I mean, there's civilians in this neighborhood and in, in our town of Noblesville, Indiana, who just back the blue 100%. And it's not the silent majority here. You know, they, they are really speaking out. They really show their support and they're not scared to encourage their children to do the same thing, which makes me feel hopeful. Um, makes me feel happy to know that my daughter is not going to stand alone. You know, when she, she goes to school in her thin blue line clothes, when she talks about her dad, uh, she's not alone in doing so. So it's kind of, you know, we've come to a point in our lives uh, where where we are now over a year later after Benji's death that um, we are, we are getting into a kind of more of a, I don't even know how to explain that. We're, we're kind of just getting into a groove with things and we are doing it in a very healthy place, very healthy, very supportive place. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And you mentioned a year later and this is pretty much going to be the, the closing of this series, the closing of this chapter, if you will. And it has been one crazy year, a whirlwind of emotions, and we've seen the ups and we've seen the downs and just everything in between. Um, I think it's important that we we discuss some of the negatives as well, and maybe negatives a bad I, a bad description, perhaps uh, struggles or just reality 
because a lot of people can't really say they understand what it's like if they haven't been in your shoes. But at the same time, for those that have been in your shoes, unfortunately, it's probably a breath of fresh air to hear that they're not alone and feeling the same way. So why don't you briefly talk about, you know, one year later, what it's been like and, and just some of the ups and downs. There are struggles every single day, uh, even to this day, even to this week with Benji's birthday being tomorrow. I mean, I, I, I face struggles emotionally every single day. Uh, but I think the, the blunt of it was initially, obviously, you know, right after Benji's passing in the first few months um, were extremely challenging. Um, there was times in those first few months where I just I had the the heaviest amount of grief. You know, it it was a pain, just a, a pain in my chest. It was something that never went away. Um, it didn't matter if I was at the grocery store um, or I was playing at the park with the kids. It didn't matter what I was trying to do. I always had this negative and dark cloud over me. Um, and for the first several months, a lot of the times, you know, I would resort to, um, you know drinking, you know, at night, every night, going outside by a bonfire, listening to music and drinking by myself, not with anybody else, not talking to anybody, just sitting outside, drinking and crying. Um, and I, I think that that happened for the, I don't know, I, I want to say for the first of months until like around October, it was just a normal thing for me to, to sit in my grief and the only times that I ever actually worked through it in what I would say is a healthy way is when I would go to the gym five to six times a week um, and get it out physically. Outside of that, though, it, I wasn't finding ways to express it. I wasn't finding ways to work through it. I was sitting in this constant um, just thought process of why. Why and why isn't he here and he should be here? Um, again. You know, moving on forward, it, it hasn't settled at all. Uh, it, I mean, it has, it's settled, but the, the grief is still there. It's not something that ever goes away. Yeah, there seems to be this, this belief that you hit the year mark and then it's over, right? It all gets easier, you know, because you've hit the, the first end of watch. You've hit the first birthday, the first anniversary, everything, all the, the holidays. You've done it all. And then after that, it gets easier. Well, that's just not the case, you know. Um, we're approaching tomorrow is Benji's second birthday in heaven. And while I am not a sobbing mess right now, and while I am, you know, able to do things, able to plan things, able to continue living, it hurts. It still hurts because he's not here. Uh, I think I messaged you, what was it, about a week ago telling you, you know, we're approaching his birthday and how, you know, I, I met him when I was, I met him when I was 20. And I, he, <laughs> he was 23, so we didn't get a lot of time together. Um, so even though I'm no longer uh, in that headspace of I'm going to go outside, I'm going to drink by myself, I'm just going to be alone and sob all night, I've gotten out of that headspace, and there's been ways to that. Uh, I think we'll probably touch on that here soon with kind of giving myself purpose and things. But it, it's a continuous struggle. Every single day is a challenge. Every single day holds grief and heartbreak in it. Well, you definitely, you definitely have done your best to move forward. It's not easy. 
and you've definitely found purpose. So why don't we discuss, and it's not just you now, it's, it's the kids as well. Um, yeah. your, your thoughts on, on counseling, on getting through the grief, and then perhaps what you got into, whether you want to talk about it or not, just getting the foundation off the ground and, and moving forward, so to speak. Um, as far as counseling and therapy and stuff goes like that, I haven't started it myself yet. I, in the sense, I don't believe in it. I've done it before. We've spoken on my depression previously, you know, so I, I believe in therapy. I've just kind of been finding other ways to, to move forward. Cause I do feel like I have some fundamentals with my previous experience with therapy. Eliza is obviously in therapy doing great. Um, I think when it came to finding my purpose and everything, you kind of, you kind of came in in October and helped me with that because you helped me set up and do foundation. You helped me find a way to, to move forward with my grief. Um, I think the best way that you can put it is, you know, I heard the, this saying once is that grief is love with nowhere to go. And that's exactly what it is. Um, so what I've done with that love and that grief is I've put it into foundation. And it's helped me get those feelings out. It's helped me keep him alive. It's helped me remember him and honor him while making a difference and, and having a purpose in my life. You can sit here and say, yeah, I'm a mom of two, right? So my purpose should be the kids. And they are. And I think that's pretty obvious. I, I, I love my kids dearly. But to me, for me, not speaking for everybody, but for me, I, I need more to keep me going and making me feel fulfilled like I'm doing something. So that's where the, the foundations really helped me out. You were obviously a big part of that. You know, you, you helped me kind of get it all rolling and started. So thank you. Because I was, when you came in, Rich, um, you know, you set it up, but that, that's the time when I was at my worst, you know? So you kind of shifting me into that um, purpose and getting the, the ball rolling really helped me get into a healthier place. I'm happy to hear that. And we all find purpose with certain times, certain times it's tragedy, certain times it's positive, but at the end of the day, it's something that motivates us or inspires us. And, and that's what we have. And we're lucky that things like that take place. So just, I guess at the right time and right place and you being receptive and, and reaching out and I'm, I'm glad we can get you where you're, where you were going. Uh, so the foundation is doing well. Uh, as far as, this year goes you guys basically you started with uh, a good amount got situated you got your purpose in order you've got people helping you and anything you want to touch on with that and then moving forward to i guess we can go into you know a year later you still have all these headaches with court and everything and without discussing the case of course just yeah. It, it's still going to consume your lives. So I do have two awesome people helping me. I have uh, Jose Guzman and Megan Ramon. They're just the best of the best. They really help me with, you know, the passion behind everything. And they, they have a love for Benji too. So it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we've, we've just done a few things here and there. Um, we're just trying to help out, trying to, bridge the gap but also give our officers a focus i feel that you can't really expect the best from your officers if you're not really willing to put time or effort into them you know you have to care about our officers if you if, if you want the the healthiest that you can get out there so that that's what we're doing there 
But as far as a year later with court, COVID's kind of thrown a wrench in it all for me. Because I, I, you know, I love you and, going out You to and court. everybody else. I know. Um, but you, you know I love mm-hmm. going out to, to the hearings and showing up for Benji. Um, I feel that it's my – I do feel that it's my duty. I know that I don't have to be there um, physically. Here's the thing, and I've told you this before, you know, I, I wasn't there when Benji was killed. I was sleeping at home. Benji was killed at 3 a.m. I found out at 7 a.m. And I didn't see him for the first several days. He was gone. I didn't get a last kiss goodbye. I didn't get a last I love you, even a last time to see his eyes. I got nothing. Um, And there were other wives and people who were at the hospital with him. And I was sleeping at home. Um, So court, you know, it's important to me to, to try to do my best to show up. Um, to as many hearings as I can, uh, just because I, I want to show up for him the way I wasn't able to show up for him when he was dead. As far as it goes down with COVID, though, you know, they're doing the Zoom meetings, which is super convenient. It's not the same, though. It's not the same as, as sitting there and, and being present um, and actually being able to, to look certain people in the eyes and, and use your voice. So it, it'll be nice once you and we're able to go back to the, to the normal, normal part of it. But yeah, that's going to probably be going on in our lives for the next several years. And, and that takes a toll on all of us um, because I don't take the kids with me, obviously. And we do live in Indiana. So there's arrangements that have to be made. You know, it's always very last minute. Like, oh, we're, we have a court hearing in, in four days. Can you come out? It's a quick 24 turnaround for me. And I have to situate things with, thankfully, Bendy's parents and I have a fantastic relationship and they'll drop everything if I have to go to court and take care of the kids. You know, but it, it's it's a quick back and forth. It does make it a little challenging. Um, but I always explain it to Eliza why I'm going, where I'm going, and when I'm going to be back so she can know what to expect. Yeah, you, you touched on COVID, and it's just been crazy. Year to date, we're in September of 2020, and now mm-hmm. this is what's crazy. I mean, you think of what you've done during COVID, buying a house, moving forward, moving court, and just everything in general. Uh, Year-to-date, COVID deaths have now surpassed other line-of-duty deaths combined. We've got almost, we're coming up on almost 100 line-of-duty deaths, but if you take COVID away, COVID is well over 100 by itself. So it's it's definitely insane. It is absolutely crazy. what was talk about moving forward in a year later and everything? What was it like buying a house during COVID? Um, the kids going to school and COVID canceling all these these events that you have really looked forward to. And I know you touch on being there for Benji and how important it was to show up for Benji, um, things like that. And that correlates to every other loved one that lost somebody in the line of duty that really looks forward to going to these events like the memorials and all that. Yeah. Uh, so I actually bought the house right at the beginning of COVID. Um, the, I think the worst part, <laughs> the more challenging part about it, aside from all the emotional stuff, was the fact that I couldn't find any cleaning supplies for my brand new house. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But emotionally, it's hard because everything that I have, everything that the kids have, everything that we we have comfort in now um, – we really only have because Benji's not here. 
you know, everything that we've been able, to, I've been able to afford the kids with and, and get them situated with is because he's not here. Um, so the idea of that alone is, is hard to process when you come and look at this beautiful house, this house that has everything that Benji and I could have ever wanted, anything that we ever spoke about, the fenced in yard, it's looking over a, like a little lake, it's got beautiful trees everywhere, school districts, everything we wanted for the kids. And he's not here to share it with us. You know, you, you, then, you, then you go through the process of actually, you purchase that house, but then the hard part is when you start um, moving everything into this house, because you still have everything that, that was theirs. I still have everything that was Benji's. Um, we're at over a year later, Rich. I've been here since March. My closet is still filled with um, totes from stuff that was in Benji's patrol car when he died. Um, the last suit that I ever saw him wear is hanging up in the closet. There's boxes of clothes of his that I just can't go through yet. And, um, and that's how it is everywhere. The garage is the same way. Uh, the crawl space in the basement is the same way. Um, it's every time I open these boxes and I look through them, it just takes me back. So buying the house without him was hard. Moving into him without it was even harder. Because um, he was supposed to be here, and I know he is. I mean, you can see him. He's right, he's right back there on the mantle. Um, but it's not the same. And I wanted... I wanted it to feel like he was still in this house. So I, I think you remember when I first bought this house, I was adamant that I'm not letting these kids move into this house until it is set up and damn near perfect, as close to it as I can possibly get it. So I took two weeks to just get everything as situated as I could, two weeks to put up as much to remind the kids of Benji as I could, which I mean, if you walk in, in this house, there's little pieces of him everywhere, even things that you would think aren't, symbolic of Benji R. I have a I have a, a little frame, like a hollowed out frame hanging in my kitchen that's got a whole bunch of coffee beans in there. And you don't think anything of it. You see it and it's like, oh that's some suburban decor that you've got going on there. But but really those coffee beans are when I was moving into this house, I was going through some of Benji's kitchen stuff that he had that my mom had packed up right after Benji died for us. Um Benji had we had this canister that we just kept our coffee beans in and I I opened up this box and I see these coffee beans and I just broke down crying because I know Benji would have touched those coffee beans right before his shift to make himself some coffee and there was still so much in there that he never got to finish it's so silly things so no, it's, not, it's not silly at all but I will tell you I, I remember when you were moving in I did think you were a little bit crazy trying to make everything absolutely, absolutely perfect uh, for the kids. But, you know, that's you and that's how you are. And I, I do want to say, I, I'll never forget you corrected me or I don't know if you corrected me or you just made a statement and it stuck with me. It was something along the lines of moving forward, but not moving on. And that's actually... That's where you find yourself right now, even. I mean, we've we've discussed kind of off the air, you've opened yourself up to dating, and it's such a, a delicate topic, and everybody avoids it like the plague, and everybody's afraid to even talk about it or discuss it. You get a lot of a lot of judgmental people. Um yeah. and 
my advice, personally speaking, and I think it's echoed from those within our organization to husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, significant others is there is no perfect time. There is no right time. There is not a set amount of time where you have to wait. It's every individual person's a little bit different. So why don't you elaborate on your statement about moving forward and not moving on and your thoughts on just dating in general and, you know, take it open mic for a few. I always open mic it. Um, I, I do harp on that, that moving forward is not moving on, because I think one of the more hurtful things that you can say to a widow or anyone who's lost, you know, who's lost a partner, um, oh, you're moving on, or, or someday you're going to move on. And that's just not the case. Um, my relationship status with Benji as his wife, I suppose in a way, because that's a contract that ended, right, that, that ended at his death. Um, but what actually matters is the love I had for him. And that's not something that ended. You know, I, I've said this before that there's no coffin or urn that you can put love into. It's just something that sits there with you every single day. So while we have moved forward and every single day after his passing has been us moving forward, we're carrying him with us, not just me, but Eliza, Tommy, Benji's parents, his sister. We move forward in our lives with him because of the love that we have for him. And moving on would be like a divorce or separation or a breakup where it's somebody chose it and now you're moving on from that person. This isn't that, you know, I have, I am dating somebody and I, you know, I was very, I made it public. I first talked to Benji's parents about it first. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm so blessed with his family that they just, they embraced me with their love and support always. But with even with Michael, I mean, he's he's wonderful. He's amazing. And he's so supportive. I think the reason that we work out so well is because he does understand that that Benji's always going to be here. Benji's always going to be a part of my life, a part of my heart. He's always going to be Eliza and Tommy's dad. And that's what people don't understand. You know, they think, oh, you're, you're dating somebody. You're, you've moved on. It's like, no, it, it, I haven't moved on. I'm never going to move on. And you also have to give credit to the person that I'm with now because they know that they go into this knowing that, you know, he's always going to be there. He's always going to be a part of our lives and they're a big enough person. They have to um, understand that support it and, you know, continue on moving forward in this relationship, knowing that, you know, um, and it's not just about dating either. You know, it's people seem to feel like because our deaths are so public that they can have a say in absolutely any part of our lives as widows or as the partners of our officers. And it's thinking that you can have a say in it because you have seen the outside of it is, I mean, it's idiotic. It's hurtful to sit here and say, you know what? I've had people tell me you're not doing right by Benji. I've had people tell me I'm not raising my kids right. I've had people tell me what I should or should not be doing. Uh, who I should be associating myself with, where I should be living, um, as if it's open for discussion. Whereas if Benji was here to hear, you know, people would see it as a partnership and they would just keep on keeping on with their own lives. You know, they would, but in this case, it's just, he's gone. So I can open, I can just tell her whatever I want about how she's doing or where she's, where she's at in her life. Um, it's an everyday struggle for us though, as the surviving spouses or as the surviving partners, it's something that, you don't see so you can't understand it and just chime in um our lives are not open for discussion or for your opinions you either find 
if you either find it in your heart to share in our happiness or just find your way out of it, you know, as we, we have gone through enough. I, you know, we were talking about COVID earlier. There's, there's so much that people don't see, you know, with COVID and everything else, you know, and the, the loss, canceling the events, being, you know, stuck in a house for months with your children alone, because it is a solo thing. You are there by yourself. There are so many struggles that go into this. Having, having events canceled on you, um, going to sleep alone at night, waking up alone, having your kids go from, from happy little babies who are so glad to see you to kids who hate you because you didn't give them another fruit snack. And you're, you're dealing with all of this completely on your own by yourself. Um, so I, I feel like when people sit here and, and tell you how to, to move forward, tell you how to live your life, um, it, you're likely doing more damage than good. So I think if there's something that I can say to the people who are around a, a surviving partner or spouse or a surviving family member, just sit there and find a way to be supportive. Sit there and understand that you're not there for every second of our grief, every second of our lives. Um, and just because you, you think you know what's going on, you don't. And, and be grateful that you don't. Be grateful that you're, you're not the one having to, to live this and experience this. There's, there's not a single thing that I would change about the love that I have for Benji, the relationship or the time I got to spend with him, other than hopefully getting to spend more time with him meeting him sooner, at least something. Are there things that I would have changed after his death about how I've handled things, how I've moved forward? Maybe. But in the time period where I'm doing it every single day, every moment, every decision that I make, I do it with the best intentions. I do it thinking that I'm doing the right thing. So I, I think that if, if you're around a surviving spouse or, or a, a partner, just understand that we are trying our best. We are doing our best and it's not easy. So support, you know, always support and support and support, but don't criticize and don't criticize and, and don't judge because heaven forbid, you know, you experience this. I hope no one sits there and tells you how to move forward, how to love, how to move on or, or yeah, how to move on. You can't see it because you made me turn off the video, but quote unquote, move on. You know? um, yeah, you bring up a good but, point. I mean, we've heard from other other families that are in your shoes. It's not so rare uh, that feeling of almost being afraid to date because of what people will say, just because of how public you've become almost thrown in the spotlight, if you will. Uh, and then, so your experience in talking to other other husbands, wives, survivors, you've experienced the same from them. Some are hesitant. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And that's why I was in, you know, for me, I was extremely blessed. The people that I was more concerned about telling about the, the dating um, or the fact that I did find someone that I'm, I'm happy with uh, was Benji's family because Benji's parents have become definitely more like my parents than I could ever imagine. You know, I, I didn't want to lose them and they were incredibly supportive. Uh, a lot of the noise came from people on the outside, you know, um, but there's, there's plenty of widows that I've spoken to who, who get, who lose people, who lose support, who lose their husband's coworkers or their spouse's partner's coworkers, or lose family members because they're like, Oh, you, you don't care about him anymore, you know, or, you know, you don't, you're not gonna, you're gonna go create a whole new life 
and you're not going to have, you know, that person in mind anymore. Um, and that's just, that's just not right. And, and that's why I think I was so, when I started experience, experiencing some backlash on it, that's why I made a very blunt post about it because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hearing uh, other partners and widows getting criticized in, in, for this because we've gone through enough. We have lost enough and we deserve happiness. And I'll tell you what, I, I know Benji so well. And to see his little girl smiling again, to see, to see me living, that would make him feel relief. I'm not saying it'd make him feel happy, <laughs> you know, he's not going to, but it would make him feel relief to know that there's still happiness in this world for us after everything that we've lost. Well, I was going to say, it's about time you decided to be blunt and not hold back and be shy because it's, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I would, I, I would completely agree with you. I, I don't think that Benji would want you to be sulking in the backyard having a drink every day and feeling miserable and I know for a fact he would want his kids to be happy and you know we've discussed this before nobody's filling his shoes nobody's replacing him but if you can bring some level of happiness and support in your life and in their life I think that's for the best for everybody I appreciate that Uh, I agree with you too and for once for once and I'm really happy with where you're at right now, uh, not just emotionally and mentally, but just geographically with the support that you have over there. I got to tell you, I mean, it's, and I know I don't want to segue this, but I have to just bring it up. It's one of the reasons why we haven't had as many podcasts recently. It's just been so challenging these times and it's so yeah. fr- frustrating with everything going on. And I cannot even begin to tell you the amount of people we've had reaching out by message and by phone over contemplating resigning early retirements if this profession is for them anymore if it's the right thing to do uh, the risk versus reward using as much time away as they can lack of support from command staff things like that and seeing the post that you shared this morning on the foundations page your page and then in turn we shared it on our page it was so inspiring to see. And I think maybe one of the things that I love the most from seeing that is, so Eliza goes to school today dressed as the SRO. And when you say she wasn't alone, that's other parents in that community instilling law enforcement in a positive light in their children. And to take it full circle, it literally goes back to basically what the foundation, what your foundation is about. That's just, it was really, yeah. really, really inspiring. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. You know, and, and stand by rich because there's another post coming. I think I told you, I think, I, I think I sent you a screenshot. Um, a mom in, in my neighborhood, she had her daughters making paracords, uh, for causes. And she actually made, uh, they had the daughters made blue line paracords and they donated $2 of every sale of those paracords to Benny's foundation. Um, so I went out, Very nice. yeah, I went out on Saturday and these little girls, I gave them one of Benji's coins. Those parents are doing just, you know, and I know you told me not to curse much. I think I've been doing a good job so I can throw this in there. They've been doing a fucking kick-ass job. All right. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, to raise these two little kids, neither one of their parents are law enforcement officers. And these kids are out there making these bracelets for all these causes. They did it for firefighters, EMT. They did it for everything. But to, to actually include Benji's foundation in there, you know, um, and want to show their support 
that's raising your kids right. You know, teaching your kids to care for causes and for people, you know, um, it's, it's so heartwarming to see. And it, it does inspire um, a lot of people. So that'll be, that'll be another post that you like, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful, you know, after everything. It, it's not easy. And like I told you at the beginning of this podcast, you know, it, it's an everyday challenge. Heck, you know, we went out to breakfast the other day, Michael, the kids and I. And it happened to be my first time going out to breakfast with somebody other than Benji. And we we're at breakfast and I, I broke down crying at breakfast. You know, it, it's those random things. It doesn't go away. It doesn't stop grief continues to be there it, it it shows up in very unexpected times and sometimes it hits you like a tidal wave it's always going to be there but I think that finding my purpose finding myself in what I know that I needed in my heart um and what I want for these kids what I want for our life uh, a happy future for them a future where they don't feel like they were in any kind of way you know held back or held down by by the loss of their dad I want what's best for my kids the same way, you know, the same way Benji and I always spoke about. So I think that the community that we're living at, where we are right now, all of this is, it's just kind of, it's, it's good. It, I can say that, you know, it, again, it's an everyday struggle and all people think, oh, you know, she's, she's good. It, but it is, you know, there's, there's, there's happiness and sadness all entwined in one every single day. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no doubt. All right. Uh, real quick with the foundation. Is the website up yet? And if not, how do people, or regardless, actually, how do people locate you? I think you're on Instagram and Facebook. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. You saw the the kind of, you know, the layout of the, the website that we've, we've got coming together. It, it's going to be sick. It's not up yet, though. Very, very soon. Very soon. But um, I have to put a few more things in there before it's it's official. Also, have to pay for it. <laughs> but uh so that'll be up shortly. Um, but yeah, we are on Instagram and on Facebook, NIMS, at NIMS Hero Foundation. And we, I did kind of take a step back recently uh, between Bendy's Under Watch, between the climate and um, his birthday coming up now. I, it's been challenging. Um, at the same time, I just wanted to focus on, you know, we did our first training and that was great. Now I got that done. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take a, take a, a quick beat just to, to gather myself and get myself back in the place that I need to be. Um, yeah, you're, before you're entitled to, uh, we've, you know, we've told you that before yeah. too. And that's one of the things that sometimes people feel pressured to, to show up to absolutely everything and to do so much, so much, so much that it, it just, it consumes you. So I'm happy yeah, to hear yeah. you've taken a step back and ultimately this is another example of nobody can really tell you that you're doing too much or too little. It's what you're comfortable with and what you feel you want to do. So I'm happy to hear you say that. I mean, you all, you, Megan, have been breathing down my neck about taking breaks for the past year. So there you go. There you have it. Taking a, a quick beat and not really a break break, but, you know, just not uh, involving myself as much as I used to with, the, you know, the rhetoric. We're moving forward. We, we got things coming up. Just we have things coming up. It'll be good. So stand by. All right. Very good. Any last words before we go into our closing? No. Um, you know, I'm, I'm did you say, thankful. Did you say no? I'm very surprised. I said surprised. no. I, I, I and said you no, started? but then I kept on talking. I said <laughs> no. I was going to say. Um, I'm very grateful to you for, you know, allowing me um, kind of this, this opportunity to, to grieve. 
because these podcasts, you know, the episodes that we've done, every single episode that we've done together has been uh, allowed me to get out these emotions, to speak on it. And you know me, I always have something to say. So aside from the tattoos that I've gotten since his death and, uh, you know, the foundation, um, everything that I've done to kind of work my way through this grief process, these podcasts have also been a huge part of that. Um, and you've allowed me that outlet. So I'm very grateful to you again for our friendship, our partnership, for allowing me into the Team South Florida Foundation and just for, for you guys being our family, you know, and me, the kids. You guys are you guys are awesome. I'm very thankful uh, for, for for all of it, for, for everything for you guys. Well, you don't have to thank us and we're we're happy, honored and privileged to play a role. And I'm happy to hear the podcast helped. You were a big part in shaping the podcast. Um, but I just before we go. I just want to hear it from you because I, I want to pat myself on the back for two seconds here. You know, I really, really I think we're, did I think we're out of so time, well. No, 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 I will acknowledge that I think you had less than five curse words on this episode. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, now, now we can wrap it up. You know, actually, right before we do that, just tell me why you chose the name for this episode, and then we'll wrap it up. I like it. Thanks. I have some good ideas every once in a while. It's because, aside from everything, I think, you know, I briefly brought it up earlier how, you know, the, the marital status of it all, it kind of goes, it kind of goes away, right? Once it, the legal part of it, once someone dies, that, that's done. But even when Benji was alive, I always referred to him as my partner because he was my partner. You know, he he was my friend. He was always there for me. He was always supportive. He had faith in me and love in me. He always referred to me as a, as a badass and a strong woman. And there was never a time that he didn't believe in me and my abilities, you know? Um, he was the definition of a partner. He always had my back. You know, there was never a time where he, he didn't think that I could do something and would back on it fully. Anything, a job, you know, baking a cake. It, no matter what it was, Benji always, always believed in me um, and what I could do. So he's, he's much more than he's much more than a husband. He is my partner. Um, and it's my job because of that to, to keep him alive. I am, I am his keeper. You know, I, it's my job to keep his memory alive because the love that we had, the relationship that we had, the fundamentals that we had, while it was, wasn't always perfect, it was strong. And that's something that keeps me pushing forward, you know? Um, so that's why, that's why I picked this name because to me, it means more to say that Benji's my partner than to say that he's my husband because there was so much built into that partnership and into our, our life together. Well, hard to top that or, or follow up with that, but I just want to say thank you very much, and I love it, and that is why this episode will be called My Partner's Keeper. So as we wrap up this episode with our traditional closing, we like to say that we will never forget, and we mean it. So. We're going to go back to 34 years ago today on September 23rd, 1986. We're going to the Indian River County Sheriff's Department here in Florida. Deputy Raskowski was shot and killed at 3 a.m. while he was checking on a suspicious person who was using a payphone in front of a closed convenience store in Vero Beach. 
While he was waiting for a cab to pick the suspect up, a handgun fell from the suspect's pants. The suspect picked up the handgun and shot Deputy Raskowski five times in the back as the deputy attempted to take cover behind his patrol car. The suspect was ultimately apprehended in Albany two days later. The suspect, an ex-convict, who had been out of prison for just five months, was convicted of first-degree murder and ultimately sentenced to death. Sadly, Deputy Raskowski was just 29 years of age at the time of his passing, and we will never forget.